You know, uh, Karis, my, my, my daughter, she had a homecoming last night. So, but before we get started, just, just forgive the, the parental moment. How, how, was, how was homecoming? What, was, it, was it on fleek? I, I, I checked her, her fit. It, 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 it really was a vibe, Karis. Karis, why aren't you looking at me? <laughs> So th- this is going to be relevant. Trust me on this. Uh, so I, I, we're, before we, we, we get it here, there, there's actually a slide for this. You can pull up the first one right now, the, the first kind of comic. Oh, this isn't turned on, is it? I can't see it. I don't know what's on the screen right now. <clears throat> no, you, you move to the next one. Who's got the... <laughs> So this is, this is a, a dad to his daughters here. It says, the first day of school, he says, time to go, ladies. You both look adorable. Giggle, 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 love you. Then the, uh, I guess the middle schooler comes up. Girl, does Taylor Swift know you stole her clothes? And she's smiling. She says, bye, love you. And then the, the high schooler comes up and goes, OMG, hate you. And she says, thanks, dad, bye. <laughs> Very sweet way of relating to the girls throughout the ages. And then we've got the next one here. This is a tweet. Me uses yeet in a sentence. Mom, no one says yeet. Me, yeet is cringe. Mom, no one says cringe. Cringe has been yeeted? (laughs) And then it says the glare was epic. So Karis can maybe understand that a little bit. Trust me, this is going to be relevant. This whole cringeworthy thing I just did, it's going to come back for us. Um, We're going to begin with Colossians today. So as we're in Colossians, we're going to turn to the book of Acts. So if you've got your, your, your Bible, flip with me to Acts 28. This is right at the end of Acts. Paul has completed his three missionary trips. He's been stoned. He's been shipwrecked, etc., etc. He has now been under arrest. And this is going to be picking up in Acts 28, verse 16. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It's because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart have become calloused. They hardly hear with their eyes. They've closed their, they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What does this have to do with Colossians? (laughs) This is from where Colossians was most likely written. Paul, being under arrest, house arrest here, having this time where he's preaching, where people are coming from all over to meet him, to see him. Paul is in this state, nearing the end of his life. That's the end of the book of of Acts here. And Paul writes to Colossae. Paul probably was not the founding pastor of this church. He had never been there. So there's this unusual thing. This wasn't his church. He hadn't been there. Why was he writing this letter to the Colossians? What was the problem that was going on there? So there's this guy, Epaphras, who was the founding pastor of that church. 
he came to see Paul. They're talking about what's going on back at home, and they're sharing about what's going on in your church. Tell me about the struggles. Tell me about what are people believing? What's the messages that you've been preaching? And he hears about things happening in that church that raise They're turning away from the gospel. They're turning away from the gospel. I heard this distinction by a biblical scholar, and I appreciate it. We say often, you've probably heard this, right, that we have four gospels, right? You open up your, your, your New Testament, what do we have? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John, right? No, <laughs> there's one gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why those books, if you read them carefully, are called the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to John, because they are all different views, they're all different takes, they're all different lessons teaching on the one gospel we have. He goes on to say that, that when we use that word, the gospel, many of us understand that, that he's, we're translating a word, right, that means good news. You've probably heard this before, right? But in that, that phrase, in that use of the word good news, the gospel, we actually are saying two things. We're saying it's news, it's information, right? That's a factual statement. But it's also giving us a little bit of commentary on it. It's good. It's beneficial. There's something about this news that's just not neutral. It's not just reporting the news. It's good. It's, it's telling us a little something about this. And it, it's specific to us because that's a relative statement. It's good news for who? Well, it's good news for me. <laughs> Let me tell you, this is good news that I can be reconciled to God. So it's not just information. It's not just news. It's news with commentary, with value ascribed to it. And this good news in Colossae has been diluted. It's been attacked already so early. I think what a lot of people have experienced and what we can probably recognize, right, is this rubber band reaction that many people have. That we experience something new and it's exciting and it's engaging. And we kind of stretch it out to some far point and then we snap back to our patterns and our habits, right? So like we, we learn something new and it's really exciting and I'm, I'm exploring all that it might mean and then I wake up and it's Tuesday. <laughs> And I'm still in Holly Springs, you know, and, and I'm, I'm doing all this stuff. So whatever it might be, I don't know if you go to conferences. That sometimes I go to these tech conferences and there's always like some new software. There's always some new exciting things that you go and you learn about. And you're like, this is amazing. It's going to change the world, you know, and, and you go and you're like, oh, I can apply this to everywhere. And, and I'm so excited. And then I come back and it's like, oh, but I have to debug this thing I was already working on. <laughs> and, and yeah, that's great. Maybe when I, we have 20 extra engineers and lots of time, maybe we could realize it, it then. AI is almost been this way right it's like it's going to change everything but until then you know <laughs> we're still going to be doing a lot of the stuff that we were doing beforehand but side note i don't know if y'all saw that that little ai generated image of jesus flipping tables that we made the rounds i i, I love it because it, this is like how things work we when we say jesus flips the tables you you probably like a good christian Think of the biblical passage where Jesus is turning them over, you know, in fr frustration and anger, what they've done to the Lord's house. You tell AI, I'd like a picture of Jesus flipping over the tables, and you have Jesus like doing like a, a skateboard backflip over, over the tables. It's great. It's out there on the internet. You can see that. Okay. So... This good news has been diluted and attacked in Colossae. They're having this rubber band reaction. They're returning to some previous ways of thinking. And we do this already. You think about America. We are returning to these views of being a marketplace, of being capitalistic. We're returning to views in the church that reflect our culture. We expect there to be quarterly returns. We expect there to be the best of breed. We expect there to be a profit and loss statement. We, we expect it to be growing without end because that's what we do in America. We just say bigger is better. So therefore, this must be what we're looking for. We expect our voices to be heard like a democracy. If I don't like a sermon, I need to register my vote. I need to make sure that you understand that, that this is not a, We expect more, Pastor. You know, we, we expect branding, profit statements. We expect quarterly reviews. Views. We expect them to be like a content creator, right? Make us something that, that can go viral, all this sort of idea, because what we're doing is we're, we're taking these things that our culture is doing, we're bringing it in here, we're snapping back to these things that we understand. Just the same thing as in Colossae. They're not turning away in doubt or fear. They're polluting the gospel with heresy, with heresy. 
we don't talk about this too much these days. Heresy is something that we kind of feel like, wasn't that an old thing that people did back when and we burned them at the stake and now we don't have heretics anymore? Like, isn't everything fine now? But why was Paul so concerned about this? So you may or may not have heard of Gnosticism. Just a, a quick show of hands, let me know if anybody knows Gnosticism. All right, that's about kind of what I expected. Um, Gnosticism is, is an early heresy. It's been one that's repeated over the generations. Um, it's not really gone, and I think that that's something that we should understand here. There, there's really, uh, I, I studied this uh, at, in length at college, and there's, there's kind of two things that I think you need to understand with Gnosticism heresy, all right? And, and you can just hold this for as long as I'm talking about it, then you can forget it. So, <laughs> when you're hearing Gnosticism, the first thing to understand is matter is evil, all right, the physical being of things is is evil. So, like the flesh is bad; it's tempted. It, 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 it's been tainted by sin. Like there's something about this this physical reality that is not what it was meant to be. And you can kind of see where that's almost Christian, right? You know, like we we understand this battle against the flesh and everything like that. And the second thing is that we experience salvation through special spiritual knowledge or wisdom. All right. Again, that's almost kind of Christian, right? So the idea was that that we can understand that if you could just get this gnosis, this special knowledge, well, there it is. You've you've got it now. And and Jesus was the embodiment of that special spiritual knowledge. So so therefore, everything is going to be great. And he couldn't then. Where where does this go? Where does this go off the rails? Because we do think that the flesh is bad and salvation is coming from something we know, right? But when we walk it out, you see it. Jesus could not have been made of flesh then, because flesh is evil. So therefore, Jesus couldn't have been like you and I. Jesus could not have been a physical man. He couldn't have been subjected to temptation because we know that he was perfect, or else why does any of this make any sense? So Jesus wasn't a man, he was just spirit. And he had this appearance as a man. He, he looked like a man, but he was really just spirit. And so if he was just spirit, then, well, he didn't really die either because you can't kill a spirit. So he, he had this image of death. He projected this. And, and so that's why his, his resurrection wasn't even really a resurrection. It was just a, a revelation of who he was. And you see where we started from some place that is almost kind of there, but now we're kind of getting away from things that we know and things that really do matter, things that really affect the way that I live my day-to-day life. And so this idea of sin and repentance weakens in light of enlightenment. We don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to talk about reconciliation. We don't want to call people to repent. You just need to be enlightened. You just need gnosis. You just need wisdom. Because if you have this wisdom, then you'll be fine. Don't, don't even worry about sin and repentance. Let's just teach people more things. They make the pulpit central so that we can teach more things. Because if you would just learn it, if you would just know it, then your salvation is assured. doesn't matter about repentance. doesn't matter about living out the faith. What matters is that you know that you have this knowledge. People became ascetics. That's another weird old Christian word if you don't know this one. That means that, that they denied themselves pleasure because the flesh is bad. So if the flesh is bad, then, then I shouldn't have any pleasure on myself. So if that food tastes good, guess what? I shouldn't have it. No butter, no cream. Like the, all that salt is on the line. I don't know about that. We probably shouldn't have that as well. And they denied themselves pleasure because they think that, again, the physical matter of things is bad. So my flesh is bad. So I need my flesh to be punished. I need my flesh to suffer because that is what, what, what makes me perfect. I have to avoid it. And then wisdom is an embodiment of God. It's like a fourth member of the Trinity. And that doesn't make any sense because there's not a fourth member of the Trinity. But the soul is divine. The soul becomes divinized through identification with wisdom. That's, again, our salvation. But it was more than that. It was this idea that Sophie, wisdom, is going to be the salvation of all of us. So Paul saw this creeping into the church, and he could not be silent. So what I want you to hear today, this morning, is how he confronted this heresy. How, knowing that this is something that's infiltrating the church, and here he is in Rome, he's never been to Colossae, and he's hearing these reports, he's like, how can I help them? How can I serve them? (laughs) How can we get them to where they need to be to understand all this? So, one of the things to notice, this is just like cliff notes as you look ahead, okay? He doesn't avoid buzzwords, gnosis, special knowledge, wisdom 
visible and invisible. You see how those are like, you can almost hear like that's a Gnostic sounding thing. Like when I was explaining what Gnosticism is, he doesn't avoid them. There was a, a lot of people saying like, if your church says social justice, leave right this comes in the news cycles with with regularity there's there's other things that, that that are said like these are the buzzwords that if you hear this you need to avoid this sort of thing paul is not doing that he's not abiding by this approach he's engaging with people in a language and going somewhere from there we get new enemies all the time we look to divide but paul's approach is diametrically opposed to that the other thing is he does not um give them ultimatums and threats how do we approach heresies? Burn them at the stake. <laughs> we got to identify the heretics, call them to account, make sure we give a, a clear understanding of this stuff, and, and make sure that we've got this clear, delineated, defined. Paul doesn't give ultimatums and threats. He builds bridges. Paul, maybe you don't know this, he has a, a, apologetic cro uh, chops, like, like by the, the apology of the faith, the defense of the faith. Paul, more than anyone, knows how to defend the faith. But yet he doesn't go to those lengths. It's interesting to look at. And I think he would have done this maybe earlier in his ministry. So again, this is at the end of his ministry where Paul is writing this. I think his approach is, is somewhat personalized and specialized here at the end. He blesses them. He prays for them. He makes sure that they know it. He builds from what is common and he uses that as a springboard to that which is our hope and that which is beautiful. So let's get into the text. Again, I want you to, to hear all the places that uh, physical reality of Jesus is significant, all the places where wisdom or knowledge are mentioned. We're going to actually cover chapter one two weeks, this week and next week, but we're going to look at it through a different lens. So I know it's a big chunk of scripture, and I'm not going to hit all the things that are like, oh, that's interesting. Let's talk more about that, hopefully next week. All right. Chapter one in Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. You also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's be the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy." For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. 
Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Whew, okay. Sometimes imagine again, you get this letter, there's no commentary associated with it. You just read it, right? And I think sometimes it does us well not to take one verse, not one word out of context, but to just allow the fullness and the text of it to come over. That's why we're going to be reading this for two weeks and go, go over this and everything. But, but it's this picture. And if you're paying attention, right, there's a real picture of physicality in there. There's a real picture of, of this, this redemption and reconciliation. And yet there's all of these little nods of things about visible and invisible. There's all these little truths that are, are there about this mystery that's being revealed and wisdom and all this sort of stuff. Paul is doing something kind of beautiful and amazing as he goes through this. All right, so we're going to go bit by bit through this. Starting verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. That would sound so great to a Gnostic ear because it's this internal stuff. So when we're talking about uh, having faith and love that spring from the hope that are stored up in you, this is all what, what knowledge can do. This is like, I get this. This makes perfect sense to me. And he's praising them. He's celebrating along them the good things that have begun. So what we see here is Paul is coming alongside people that have been struggling with confusion, and he's building a bridge of understanding, and he's using that as a springboard to tell them so much more about this common hope that we share. It goes on, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So he's connecting them to the full body of Christ. He's saying, yeah, this is, we're all in one family. We're all going in one direction. This is beyond your town. This is beyond your community. There's something that is doing this, and it's not just this internal thing. It's not just some secret thing that's in you. This is something that's happening across the world. We are seeing this change the society. So, like, if you're fully Gnostic, now you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> this, is about to, this is supposed to benefit me and make my divinification complete. This is, this is about my own personal spiritual growth. I don't know about changing the world. I don't know about, about, about pushing these boundaries. And, and he's kind of extending this beyond what a Gnostic hope would be now. Going on, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will and through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Whew, we're back. Okay. <laughs> fill me with special knowledge, Jesus. Like, yeah, yes, let, let me understand this. Let, let me have all of this that the Spirit's going to give you, and, and, and now we're, we're complete. So that you may live a life worthy. This is verse 10. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. This is selfless. It's not about celebration of self, divination of self. This is challenging, that we want to live a life pleasing to the Lord. It's not about what it's doing for me. It's about what it's doing for the Lord. It's this picture that, that, that I am no longer the center of this. The, the whole thing with Gnosticism, it really puts a, a spotlight on the self, on the individual, on how your own soul is doing, about just trying to be divine, just trying to be great. And it's not, not saying that the world doesn't matter, but really the working of the Spirit's inside. So as long as the working of the Spirit's inside, then everything else is kind of, well, that's out of my pay grade. I'm, I'm not going to mess with that. So Paul, recognizing that that's a danger of this type of faith, he's saying, well, hold up. We want to live a life worthy of the Lord that pleases Him. And he's not just pleased with internal sanctification. It's not just one day we'll, we'll be okay when we're all divine and we're all going to be perfect. That, that, that's not in Scripture. So this is now challenging again. 
He says, we're bearing fruit in every good work. Again, where are we going with this? What kind of fruit are we talking about? What, what are we trying to produce if not just myself being the best self that I can be? Then he says, growing in the knowledge of God. Okay, we're safe again. <laughs> like if for the Gnostic year, growing in knowledge of God, yeah, absolutely. Let, let, let's just get this special knowledge. Let's understand God fully. Do you see why I think this affects the church today? Why, why we say we want to make the table and not the pulpit central? Because I think that a lot of times we have this tendency to think that as long as things are good in here, and as long as I can equate whatever is in here to being like acceptable, then I'm going to say I'm living a life of faith. Paul is challenging that mentality. Paul is saying, where's the fruit? Where are we going from here? Where, where's the evidence that, that the Lord is worried? Is he pleased with us? Is he delighted in us? If he looks down at us and he sees us sitting here listening, doing some internal work, you know, and then leaving and going back and living our lives, is he pleased with that? Yes, he knows our hearts. Yes, he knows our souls, but that's for a reason. He, he's doing this internal work. He's, he's changing us so that something happens. And I, I think we've allowed this glorification of self glorification of the internal to be the loudest thing in the room we have quiet times we have prayer times where we pray inside i i have found so much fruit by praying out loud i don't know why like th th this is legitimately I, I i can explain maybe why i think it is but vocalizing my prayers has changed my prayer life and so I, I have a daily walk that I take, and I have a daily alarm that, that goes off where I, I pray for the, the babies in our church specifically, and I, I pray for my wife, and I pray for my kids. And, and uh, you know, it starts off where I'm just kind of thinking the prayers. Y'all ever do that? And it's like, yeah, that's nice. That's good. And then, like, I realize I'm in the middle of the woods. I'm going to say it. <laughs> and when I say the words, I celebrate my wife, Leah. You know what happens? I do. <laughs> And when I lift up Karis and when I lift up Ava, I do. There's a goodness, I think, in bringing these things outside of our internal souls and bringing them with some air behind them into this world. I, I don't want to sound overly spiritual or whatever. I think this is probably just me working things out. But I encourage you, bring this stuff out. Let it shape and change, at least even the air around you. All right, verse 11. Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience. Ooh. All right, we're not talking about internal stuff right now. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is confrontational now. Because when we want to be the best selves that we are, when we're talking about divinification of the soul, what we're saying is, you're your own God. You can do whatever you want. You can rule yourself. We have this idea, and this is present all over the world, right? That, that, that there's uh, even re uh, religions that, that, that talk about, will rule over planets or whatever it might be, that this whole idea. Now, there's authority that believers have, but it's because we are subject to the King of Kings. Because Jesus is Lord of all. We are in his kingdom. We're not making our own kingdoms. We're not making things the way that we want them to be. We're not trying to rule them the way that we want them to be ruled. We're bringing things into alignment with what Jesus has called us to do. That kingdom of light is opposed to the kingdom of darkness. This is not glorification of self. This is glorification of the Son. What an amazing picture to say, it's not about me, it's about him. It's not about what I want, it's about what he wants. This is a huge shift for the Gnostic years. And then he says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have made such room for brokenness. We have made such an acceptance of failure. We have made such space for us to say, well, we're, we're working these things out. And, and you know what? And, and there's a goodness in that. A lot of our stories are long stories. I know this. I know that personally. A lot of the times we, 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 we begin a work and it's not going to be completed for maybe weeks, months, even years, even decades. But do not make space for sin. Church, it's a cancer. It will kill. 
Sin is a cancer that will kill. And if we are silent to ourselves, if we allow it to continue for ourselves, now this is the thing. I'm not talking about your neighbor's sins. I'm talking about your sins. That's the sin you have authority over. When you have conviction that something you are doing is short of the glory of God, don't play games with it. Please do not play games with it. I have seen sin destroy family after family. I've seen it eat up life after life. I see it choke joy and satisfaction. It just, it, it is not a game to be played with. Don't try to see how far away I can get with this. Well, if I don't, t- if I don't say this out loud, then I can t- keep doing what I want on the side. I, this is just friend to friend. Don't play that game. You're, you're losing if you're playing that game. And I know that it feels fun. I know that those lies tickle your ears and you think, I can get away with this for as long as I want. And, and you know, it's not really hurting anybody. It's just, it's just a little thing here that I just do on the side. It is a cancer. And this is the benefit we have of realizing the power and dominion of Jesus. So Paul is bringing it home. Repentance, reconciliation, doing, not just being, here and now, not just the eventual goodness of our souls. We have this reconciliation now. Verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now we're back to like Gnostic-y stuff. You think he's brought this home. You think we're like out of the woods. And then he's telling you again, there's something that you get that's right. He's telling you, you're not, you're not like off in darkness and there's nothing there. He's bringing you back saying the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That's Gnostic-y. For him, in him, all things were created. This is verse 16. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him, in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's almost like he set you up. I, I, I do have a little bit of a pattern for this. You can see the, the text that I have in gold. It's kind of like the gnostic nods. And then the red is going to be like, that's the gospel. <laughs> so he's giving you these nods. He's, he's bringing you along. And then he hits you making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus was a physical man. He had a heartbeat. He breathed air. He walked the dirt. And he shed his blood on the cross. This idea that he was spirit, this idea that, that he's just this kind of manifestation of, of goodwill, this idea that, that he's just this, this being that kind of was like a mist in the wind that, that you know, we, can, we can make all these stories about. He was a man. He walked, he died, and he was resurrected for us. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. Whoo, there's like no getting around that. But now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This whole bit is a shift back. It's not about inner peace, seeking wisdom, but repentance and reconciliation. You might have heard this. Most sinners are nice people, right? I mean, I think we, we, we think of this in a different way, that, that oh, they're dirty, they're evil, they're, they're wicked. Most sinners are nice people. That's good in some ways, right? Most sinners are nice people. They need to repent, like we all do. Like this, this, we, we mistake these things, we mistake courtesy, we, we mistake this. Repentance is so vital for the soul to recognize what is life-giving and what is not. What is of the dominion of darkness? What is the dominion of light? Flesh and matter are now present, blemish-free, and f- even free from accusation. This ascetic idea of, of, the, of that I need to punish my, myself, this, uh, that I need to remove myself from these good things, this is a powerful picture of what this is to look like. 
He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's the current status of us. This physical body has been redeemed. This is very troubling for the Gnostic ear. This physical body is not wicked, without blemish, free from accusation. That For the aesthetic, you're thinking, no, I need to punish my flesh. I, I need to make sure it suffers. I need to make sure that I'm withholding myself from these good things on this world and that I'm not, not engaging with, with all this, you know, all the, the, the feasting or the revelry or all this stuff. I need to remove myself from that. And Paul is saying, you are free even from accusation. That makes me uncomfortable <laughs> because it's like, well, we want to keep a little bit of shame, right? Like, I don't know. Like, if we're shame free, what are we going to do? The call to freedom and grace in the gospel is scandalous to the Gnostic ear. Like, I, I don't think I, I don't think you're actually getting what I'm what I'm saying. Like, like the the power of redemption, the power of being set free, going from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It's, it's beyond revolutionary. It, it's beyond being born again. We, words are not sufficient for this experience to go from knowing shame, knowing condemnation, having sin eat at my soul, to being redeemed, from being delivered, to being where accusations themselves are nonsense. An accusation against you is nonsense, dear believers. What? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I will voice an accusation against myself 20 times after somebody says it. You, you, you tell me that I did something mean, I'm going to be like, yeah, I will. Yeah, I know. I'm suffering. I'm, I'm a worm. I'm terrible. I know. I'm so like, yeah, I rehearse that in my head. Accusations feel comfortable to me. Are you the same? An accusation feels right because I know myself, because I, I know this. So for Paul to say, but now... Again, not eventually, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Now there is the, the condition, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Again, Paul is so good with his words. The gospel not the gospel according to Starbucks, not the gospel according to America, not the gospel according to the evangelical church, in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Verse 24. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. This is almost ascetic teaching again. Paul is taking suffering on. This is a picture of, of such love, of such devotion, of such walk, working this thing out that we are sharing in this. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to the, you the word of God in its fullness. And now is the Gnostic nod again, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Mystery makes great sense. You can't really know it. It's, it's, it's unthinkable. Your soul will enjoy it. It's going to be like, you know, and mystery, by the way, is so important to me. <laughs> mystery brings us to awe. Mystery is, it's, it's ineffable. It's beyond our understanding. Mystery is so important to me, but, but this is the thing, right? Mysteries are meant to be revealed to us when we're in the kingdom of God. It's not, it's not like you can't enjoy this, like you just have to accept this whole thing on faith that eventually one day maybe all this sort of stuff. No, no, no. The invitation to faith is press in and you'll begin to see. If, if it's press in and then we're going to keep a curtain closed so you, can, you can't get too close, be suspicious, church. <laughs> Come close, but there's always more like, oh, you know, don't look that. No. The idea is we press in, we see more and our jaws drop in awe. And we celebrate what has been done, what has been revealed, and we say, but yet there is still more. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. That's amazing. Verse 27. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Linger here. Linger here. 
God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, for most of us, that's you and I, <laughs> the glorious riches of this mystery. There's a mystery that is going to be revealed to you. What is it? It's going to be a wisdom that, that is disclosed. And it goes on to say, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not you yourself. It's not the best you that you can be. It's not you cleaned up. It's not you kind of made holy and, and whatever. That's not the goodness of this. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one. This isn't me preaching. This isn't Paul writing this. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. It's not about me. It's not about my enlightenment or my divinity. This idea of how Paul confronts heresy, how Paul looks at the dangers of pollution of God's word, and how does he do it? He strenuously works out with all the energy he has to build this bridge and use it as a springboard to bring us closer to Christ himself. All right, so where are we going with this? Here's the application for us. We have seen in this world, I know, erosion. We have seen the truth degraded. I know we have seen something good get broken. And Paul has shown us a picture of how to rebuild from within the context of community. Not to tear each other away. Not to, not to break things apart and make things worse because we just want to find that good core. I had a, a, a crack on my back tooth and uh, I didn't even know it. It didn't hurt. But the dentist kept telling me like every year, like, you know you got a cracked tooth. You know you got a cracked tooth. I'm like, oh, I can't see it. <laughs> it doesn't hurt. I feel fine. And so finally they're like, listen, you, you got to get this thing treated or else it's, you, you're, you're going to crack it all the way and you're going to be in great pain. And like getting a crown is going to be like $1,000. If you let us drill it out and just repair it, then it's going to be like 50 oh, Okay, that, that makes sense to me. So <laughs> that was the argument that won. So I went to do it and they had to drill and drill and drill and drill to take out what was broken so that they could fill up with what was good. And I think that this is the, the problem. When we're confronting brokenness, church, what do we do? How do we know when to do what? When something has crossed some line, where do we say, I cannot take it? Where do we say, that is heretical and I cannot stand it? And where do we say, let's figure this thing out together? Right? What we have seen in church history is a lot of people saying, this is heretical, I'm going to burn you at the stake. We've seen that. And now we're seeing the opposite, where people are like, well, maybe everything's okay. <laughs> How do we do this well in the picture of community? I don't think what we're seeing in Colossians is a universal lesson for all time in all situations. But what I think Paul did was from a place of knowing the good seeds that were planted and having a hopeful longing for redemption, reconciliation, and community. The Lord gave him such language to build bridges and not tear things away. And he could find that good core of what was solid, of what is good, of what is bearing fruit, and to say, let's emphasize that. Those things that unite us are far greater than those things that divide us. In fact, I see in you already this good thing. He did this when he was talking to the Romans. You have all of these gods, and you have the statue that says to an unknown god, that's my bridge. You worship something you don't know. You're aware that there's more. Well, let me tell you what I do know. Let me tell you about this unknown God. Paul has this way of bringing them into the family, not casting them out. We have been so focused on finding that edge to make sure that there's us safe and others unsafe that we're forgetting the great redemptive reconciliation that we are called to participate in. We confront brokenness. We do it from this context of continuing community. I don't think it's a strategy that Paul's employing to win an argument, and this matters. It's not just like he read a book on how to convince somebody to come into the faith, and he's like, first build a bridge. I pray for you every day. <laughs> he, I don't think he's following a strategy. 
I think his heart of reconciliation is leading him to bring people to him. His actual love, not a theoretical love, not a conceptual love, but when he's talking to Epaphras about his home church, he's like, man, I can't even tell you. Like right now we've got these Gnostic teachers that are coming in and I don't know what to do. Like, like they're, they're just, I feel like I teach one thing. They're teaching me another thing. It's not like they're even off. It's just like they're shifting our focus a little bit. And Paul's like, oh, I got you, man. <laughs> let, let, let me help. Let me serve you. I, I know my Jesus and I know your heart. I know these people. I can understand that. Let's bring them along with us. They're not, they're not to be discarded. They're not to be written off. They're not to be forgotten. Let's participate in the reconciliation, the helpful hope of all things as we call them back. It's a pure pursuit of a gospel-defined community. It's an unwillingness to let people be swayed, an unwillingness to see them diluted, an unwillingness to see them confused and weakened. He meets them where they are, and he takes them deeper and closer, just like Christ did for us. When we were lost, when we were confused, when we didn't have the answers, Christ didn't write us off. Do we do this to our brothers and sisters? Do we think, I can't associate with them? You, you said something I don't agree with. Or do we say, let's figure this out. The important thing is that God is doing a reconciliating work, and we can trust him. What Paul is doing here is poetic, it's wise, but it's full of heart and integrity. It's specific and personal for Colossae. You remember those comics I put up first? The one of the dad? Let's pull that one back up again. I don't think that this dad in this comic is, is being as cringeworthy as I was trying to be. And by the way, that was a joke. <laughs> I think his dad, this dad here, this is putting way too much on a comic and I know that, all right. But allow this to be the story, right? This dad is looking at his daughters and he says, I want you to hear me. I love you. I want you to hear me. You're ready for this day. I'm, I'm willing to use the language that you understand because <laughs> the language isn't it. I want your heart to rejoice in the fact that your father loves you. So I will tell my oldest daughter, OMG, hate you <laughs> because you hear I love you whenever I say that. You hear you look good and you're ready for this day, right? You like how they all say love you back? They hear it. What the dad is not saying or maybe what he is saying but not in words, he's saying to them language that they can hear. I love you, and they understand that. I think that's what Paul is doing for Colossae. It's specific, it's personal. The key to this is really knowing, really knowing who you are, really knowing the truth, and really knowing them. Not just taking a, a, a half approach to, to just like a half measure of like, man, this is good enough and it's general knowledge. Like maybe, maybe this will work. Throw spaghetti against the wall, see what is there. To press in to know people, to know their stories, to know their struggles, to know what's going on, to hear their concerns, to hear that, to hear the language that people use and to say, okay, do I hear you saying there's an unknown God? I hear you say that wisdom has, has found a root in your life. I hear you say that, you're, that, that Jesus is, is this spirit of, of wisdom. Yes. And let's see what else happened. With his physical body, he reconciled us. From where we are, we can go deeper. We can find something more common, something more beautiful. Very few of us are fully convicted of very many things. Very few of us are fully convicted of very many things. Very few of us are selfless enough to speak to someone as deep calls unto deep. It costs you something to do this well. It does. I, I can't speak Gen Z. <laughs> I, I actually was kind of trying before. I was like trying to write things up in a way that wasn't cringy, and I can't do it. And I love my daughters, and I want to be able to do it, but it, it's really hard. Physical touch, many of y'all know this, not my first, second, third, or fourth love language. <laughs> Every now and then, I have to just hug Karis. That's hers. It's not my first language. I'm bilingual sometimes to try to tell my daughters I love them. It costs us something to press in, to hear, to say yes. Let's go back to those parental examples. And like I said here, what the message here is just love. Love is what I think Paul is telling the, the church in Colossae. More important than the heresy. 
is love. More important than the heretical ideas in confronting this is love. I had a friend who was in seminary, and he heard the Lord. I'm, I'm, this is sharing secondhand somebody's words. But he heard the Spirit say to him as he's learning, as he's increasing in knowledge, he said, I'd rather you be loving than correct. I mean, that feels gospelly, but that's also it's kind of upsetting to me. Like, <laughs> like, well, can't I be both? You know, I think the answer is yes, you can be both. But here's the problem, church, is we're not. I, I, we're not. <laughs> like, let's be honest with ourselves. Look in the mirror. I'm wrong about things. You, y'all know that? I'm wrong. This is not talking abstractly. Josh Pavel is wrong about things. I don't know what I'm wrong about, but I know I am. <laughs> but, right? Have you, have you ever changed your, your understanding of something with more knowledge? You were wrong before. <laughs> or you're wrong now. I don't know which one it is, but, but one of those two things was wrong. The Lord loved you through it all. What's more important, to be right or to be loved? Now, this is hard for us, but I think if we confront this world, if we confront heresy with this understanding, what we see then is the fruit of that action. We see then reconciliation and redemption. We see our Father's goodwill. We, we don't have to be heretic hunters. We don't have to chase down every mistruth and, and try to make sure it comes into, into light. Now, truth matters, but what do we know about Jesus? and point the finger to him. The gospel, the gospel as it's revealed and as we work this out in context is so beautiful. Karis, and Ava's not here any longer. Yeah, I love you each very much, but I'm not sure I'm gifted enough to speak your language. But I want to try. This gospel message isn't just for those who already understand it. It's not us just talking to ourselves. People who don't get this, they're not deserving of punishment and exclusion. People who get it so wrong that it offends us are so worthy of being loved. We as a church should be so burdened to pursue them so deeply that we speak their language and meet them where they are and lead them to the gospel in its fullness. Church, this is hard. This is not a simple thing. This is so challenging, especially in the Americanized, gospel-written, southern culture of the Bible Belt that we're in, where everybody thinks that they've got it.